Welcome to Strength in the Numbers. My name is Andrew Codd, accountant, author, and commercial finance entrepreneur. And it's my job each week to bring you leaders in finance and business and deconstruct with them their real stories, insights, and hard-won lessons into practical advice on the key strengths and qualities you need to remain relevant in accounting and finance today, as well as the steps you can begin to take to elevate the impact you make to have a fun, successful, and rewarding career in accounting and finance. Now let's go over to the show. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's Strength in the Numbers show. Like what you do, do it well, and good things will follow. That's the advice this week's guest mentor, Ashish Arora, got from a previous mentor of his. And together with Ashish, on this week's episode, we also deconstruct the three main qualities of the modern FP&A professional that companies are looking for nowadays. Actually, how to build a team that's not only strategic in nature, but one perhaps is largely based from a low-cost or faraway location. Uh, and then trying to manage successfully and leading that diversity in the global finance workplace while also maintaining the profitability of the business. And finally, the benefits of having a finance team or team members that have the willingness and the flexibility to travel, uh, which ultimately will help build cohesive teams. And uh, the great thing about having Ashish on the show is he's he's managed a lot of these developments in these areas from from beginning to end, from startup to a, a much more mature company nowadays. Uh, so he shares some fantastic stories, and I think there's something in here for everyone in the audience. And I actually really, really enjoyed uh, talking with Ashish. He's definitely someone that uh, is worth listening into. So look, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much uh, as I did recording it. And finally, if you feel that your colleagues and friends might benefit from Ashish's advice or that of any of other guest mentors, we're on all the major platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And we really appreciate you investing your time with us today. So without further ado, over to Ashish and the show. Ashish, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hey, look, it's really fantastic to, to have you on. Um, how we sort of met was I actually read some comments you made about, I suppose, finance and how to get the best out of finance. And I'd love to share that with our audience at some point on the show. But before we get there, would you mind maybe just going through your career journey and, and your story in accounting and finance? Sure, absolutely, absolutely. So before I get into my journey, let me just spend a couple of minutes on uh, letting everyone know what I currently do. I work for a company called Cvent. It's spelled as C-V-E-N-T. Uh, we are an online software company that caters into event management space. So we provide software as a service solutions or what the world calls today SaaS solutions to event planners to help them manage their events better. We have approximately 4,000 people across the globe. Our headquarters is in the US and we have about 1,500 people in India. We are growing rapidly. So just to give you a little bit of context, uh, you know, I've been working with Seven for almost 14 years now. So my journey really started I mean, I did have a couple of years of experience before I started working with CVAN. So I was, after I completed my graduation or my studies, I started working. I'd worked for a couple of years. And in 2005, I was approached by CVAN to join the company. At that time, believe it or not, CVAN was a $10 million company. Our revenue was in the range of $10 million. And we were approximately 100 people. We were just starting our India operation, so I was like the 20th employee in India. And the way it started was, uh, you know, very interesting because back in that day, in 2005, 
a lot of companies, specifically the US-based companies and European companies were looking at India from a cost arbitrage, cost leverage standpoint. So Seaman also was in the same league. So we really started our operations with data entry operations in marketing and client services. But then it caught on and then our CFO and the manager of finance decided that they would want some help as well. And if the help is coming, not at which is not very expensive, it, it's, it works great for a company which is just very small in size and, and do not have those, those kind of resources. So they really hired me to just assist them. And, and when you're working for a startup kind of a company, which is just $10 million in revenue, your role is not very defined. You, you're supposed to do whatever is required to be done, right? <laughs> Yeah. So I was essentially working in finance uh, with my uh, manager of finance who was in the U.S. And my role included sending out bills, calling people up when they were late in payment, asking, resolving their queries, helping the accountants uh, to in making any journal entry, doing recording our contracts for from a revenue recognition standpoint and preparing a little bit of management reports for for our CFO to look at just business metrics right so that is how it all started as the story grew as and as the company grew over over the period of time that the big turn came in um, in 2011 so we when we raised our first capital like until then we were really bootstrapped so we raised 136 million dollars in 2011 and obviously when a venture capital is investing in your company they do a lot of due diligence right they ask for a lot of things which we hadn't done right so i was part of the core team that was to provide that analysis and that data and that was really my first sort of say first uh, trials with data and with managing a lot of data and making sense out of it. So I was supporting our CFO at that time. So it was a great experience. And when they started investing, when an outside professional comes and invests in your companies, their requirements are that you're supposed to provide this information regularly to them. So essentially a part of my role became, uh, obviously I had a team which was managing order to cash because the business had grown. So I was overseeing an order to cash team, but I was also responsible for providing these analysis to uh, the CFO and the board. And then in 2012 and towards the end of 2012, we decided to go public. And that was really the pivotal moment in my career because you know, we decided to go public and I was given an option because if, you, if you're a public company, you can't have a person doing makeshift reporting. You really need to have a solid team of professionals who are actually telling you what's going on in business because what you tell the street would impact your stock price, would impact you know, the value of the company. So essentially, the option was either I continue in my role or I move out of that role and really focus on financial planning analysis. So it was a really interesting opportunity. So I took that opportunity. I built the financial planning analysis team from scratch. And we went public in August of 2013. And we were public for about three years. So that was you know, amazing. It was a lot of stress. But at the same time, it was a lot of learning. Every quarter, you're giving out guidance to the street. So I was providing the numbers to our CFO and the CEO who were using those numbers to guide the street. So and every quarter, we beat our guidance and we would raise our guidance. So 12 straight quarters. It was a great track record. And then 
at the end of two, 2016, we were bought by a private equity firm called Vista Equity Partner, and we were taken private. That was also a very interesting experience because, you know, so I've seen full cycle of company growing, uh, going public, and then working for a public company, and then going private, and then working for a private equity firm. So that's also a very interesting, different experience. But for the last uh, three years or so, I've been working with, uh, you know, with Steven in the capacity of a head of financial planning and analysis, and uh, work, really working on budgeting, forecasting, management analysis, and providing you know the business insights to the board so that's what my journey is yeah like that i mean if you think about that Ashish, there's some some listeners now in our audience that that probably have never gone through that full cycle you have they're probably at one stage and, and their entire career could be at that one right. stage i suppose you know like that there was there was some good bits in there i'd love to, to go into sure. deeper i mean when when you were going through that cycle that must have been quite a shock to get all that due diligence yeah. Um, requirements of having gone from nothing to have to have this and I completely appreciate where you're coming from having having done it myself is there something that stands out to you about that experience in terms of of, of I mean that's a lot of yeah. work right I mean how do you prepare yourself for something like that so essentially hindsight is always twenty twenty, right hindsight when you're looking at something and say oh man I would have been glad if you would have done this way if you'd have had our processes more streamlined yeah. if you have recorded everything appropriately it would be as easy just clicking a few buttons, getting something, but that yes. moment has passed, right? So essentially, what you know, I tell my team: look, at the end of the day, you're you've done your job successfully if someone looks at your analysis and the numbers that you provided and takes a decision in the in ten minutes or so. Mm-hmm. And that is that's about it. Now, in order to get there, there's a lot of hard work that goes behind because you're taking a lot of raw data, specifically when you're working on an organization which is growing and systems are not set. So you're getting a lot of raw data, doing a lot of cleanup of the data because system A would not match, you know, like our accounting system would not talk to our CRM system and our production system. So you have to really find a key on how to match that data. And then once you match that data, you clean it up, then you really provide some meaningful analysis. And, and at the end of the day, nothing is perfect. So what you have to also do is use your business judgment and insights to make some assumptions. And those assumptions really would, you can only make those assumptions if you know enough about the business. So that's how, that's very, that part of the role, I think it stands out because you, I always tell my team that, look, financial planning analysis is both an art and a science, right? Because it's science because you're using these numbers and you're creating analysis, but it's also an art because you are also applying a little bit of your gut or your assumptions and your understanding of the business, right? So that I think is something that stands out in, in the role and the journey. Yeah, I love the way you brought that back together at the end. I think there was actually to, to, and there was an essential element in there, actually. You said there's got to be some sort of common key to the data because a lot of lot of organizations, small and large, they've got this challenge of the systems are starting talking to each other, yet we need to do something to help our decision makers do the right things and make better decisions. So I thought that was quite a really useful point. And then also calling it out as an art and a science, couldn't agree with you more. And I suppose that then might provide challenges for people looking to move into FP&A. So, I mean, you said you, you built a team from scratch. I mean, what are the good qualities of the FP&A professional nowadays in your mind? So essentially, when we look at financial planning analysis individuals, obviously the first thing is they need to have strong critical reasoning abilities, right? They, they need to have the abilities to break down a large problem, break it down into smaller problems, then apply 
logical reasoning to solve those problems bit by bit, right? Because most people, when they look at a large problem, they get bogged down by the fact, oh shit, it's such a big problem. How do I resolve it, right? But essentially what it is, is is you break it down into smaller steps and then try to solve it step by step. And then at the end of the day, you might end up, you think that you're going to go from direction A to B, and you might end up going from A to C, but that's how the nature of the, the business today is, right? But you really have to have step step by the thought process of breaking down a problem into step-by-step processes. That's one thing. Second, I definitely look at people who are strong. And I would say when I say strong, they have mindset to adopt technologies, right? Mindset to adopt systems. Because as we grow as an organization and as we, we move towards industry, a lot of it is you have to work with systems a lot. So you have to have that mindset that you're you're comfortable with using Excel, you're comfortable with using visualization systems, you're comfortable with managing a lot large amount of data, right? So that's I think is a key second key important for important point for a financial financial planning analysis professional. And the third key important point is they don't have to be accountants, right? Because accounting is something that you can learn. What they need to be is really business people. Like they should be able to sit down with business and understand how business is done. Because if you know that. You can really apply your skill set and provide insights to the business. Like these are the three key points that I kind of look at when I'm hiring for uh, financial planning analysis uh, professionals. It's interesting your observation yeah. about accountants as well. I think I think it was that assumption that accountants went in there, but I think there's so yeah. much more nowadays with the, the the technology, the data, the systems, mindsets. Yeah, I love I love the bit you mentioned about problem solving. The way someone described it to me once is like, "How yeah. do you need, eat an elephant?" Yeah. Not that I'm saying yeah, we should. Exactly. You know, it's piece by piece, right? Yeah. I mean, it's so, so. But there was another thing actually in your story I wanted to sort of pick up on as well is you've done this for an international company and your FP&A team are they all based out of India? or you just build it all up in India? We have approximately 30 people in the team, out of which 20 people are in India and then remaining are in the US or even I would say 22 versus eight. So large part of the team is in India and then we do have people on ground in the US. So that's how it works. But in today's world, it really is as you're a Zoom call away and there's a lot of collaboration. So that really helps. I think there's a lot of people embarking on this journey because I think there's um, great uh, centers of competence out there developing. I mean, um, and that, that's a testament to right. what you're doing, uh, Ashish. So how, how if people are embarking on that journey, how do they, they, they I suppose, show the, that, that value that uh, we, you, you can lead functions like FP&A from countries like India, sure. from Eastern Europe, from, from countries in, in Australasia for large, you know, American or international businesses? Actually, a very interesting question. People have asked me this question multiple times previously as well, that how do you build a team in, in India or in, let's say in Eastern Europe? Because essentially the first point of going to these countries is cost, right? You need to just get lower end work done out of these countries, which is not strategic in nature, right? But to build strategic, something that is strategic in nature and very, very important to the business, how do you do that when you're when you're seven seasons away to that? Like at the end of the day, I think... It's a two-way street, right? The first is the core team or the headquarters of the business or the decision makers, the C-level suites have to really believe in it, right? And I'm not saying that it's as easy as hiring someone and then things get done. There is a lot of hard work and a lot of patience that is required to be able to build something like this in a faraway country. Like I'll give you an example. Our CEO is a great proportion of a great proponent of India. He actually it's his babe. So he interviewed 
the first 250 people that were hired in our office himself. Being the CEO, he made that kind of commitment. He travels to India every year, spends three, still now, I'd say for 16 straight years, he's done that. He comes to India every year. He would spend three weeks in India. Previously, it used to be five and six weeks. And we used to have these recruitment rides because we have the saying in our company that the DNA of its company are its people. So you really got to hire the right kind of talent. And once you get that ball rolling, and once you've hired the good set of sort of the founding team, they are the ones that they would help you build the team, right? So that's very important. Now, on the other side of the picture, from let's say if I am sitting in India and I'm being hired, one thing that is very important is that, look, it's not as easy as you, you're working for an India company, right? If you're working for an Indian company, you're working nine to six, you're going back home on time, right? But if you're working for a US company, you have to put in a lot of sacrifices. You have to have that mindset where you're saying, okay, I'm working for a global company. I have to be flexible. There has to be travel involved. Like we have this program where I travel to our headquarters at least once or twice a year. Uh, my boss, our CFO comes here every year. So there has to be the strong travel involved because no matter how strong the technology is, and we talk on a daily basis, like he's sitting in his office, I'm sitting in my office, we just pick up the phone and talk. And then this personal interaction. So that's how you make these relationships and you make great teams that work together cohesively. So it's kind of it's a slow progress with a lot of hard work that is required to be able to scale operations like that. I've just seen images, what's worked well and what hasn't in the past. And actually, you reminded me of a mistake I did is once I went uh, very hard to, to prove out this low cost or best cost concept. I, my gut was telling me, look, you still need people on the ground in some local markets. But the, the organization was dead, dead set about doing low cost. So sometimes you have to show that it doesn't always work, but you can move the majority, you know, you can move majority yeah. to these locations and be very successful. And you're successful because the leadership buy-in, there's uh, people traveling regularly between the two regular conversations. It's, right. it's as if you're all in the same office, right. just at the other end of it. And like, uh, for me, I think that was a big thing was you still need some element of yeah. local presence, but you also need that high level. So it's actually global and local in one. I, I think, um, I think actually in terms of that, was that something you were able to, to, to solve easily in terms of getting that mix of people that were, I suppose, in the best loss cost location versus those that you had to keep in the local market? Base requirement for the people remain the same. No matter if I'm hiring in the US or I'm hiring here in India, yeah. my, my requirement is the same. What essentially makes, there's one added caveat to the requirement as well is communication. Now, when I'm hiring people here in India, I also have to make sure that these are the people who are going to be picking up the phone and talking to very, very important people in the company, like analysts and senior analysts in my team talk to the VPs of sales when they're doing sales forecasting. Now, you as an individual, if I'm hiring the, uh, an analyst or a senior analyst, that individual sitting here in India has to be articulate enough that they're able to talk to their clients, like we call them internal clients, right? Talk to them and are able to articulate their points well and get their inputs as well. And that's an added thing that is required. And likewise in the US as well, you really got to hire someone who's open to like one of the senior analysts that works in my team is in the US. Now she is the only person of that team in the US, the entire other team is in India. So now she has to be very flexible because she has to work with the team in India and work there. So right after she was hired, she came to India for six weeks and spent six weeks with the team, built that strong relationship. Now every year she's going to come in during that time. But then once that has happened, now people know it's not just a phone call, phone number that you're dialing someone. It's a real person that you're talking to. So I think that's very important. So communication is also a key. 
on that communication and building on that theme, Ashish, it seems like travel's a key theme, you know, between the teams and people spending time with each other. Because yeah. again, that it is about people, right? That's something that you came across by accident, or was it more deliberate that you said, look, we're going to try and do this as best yeah. cost as possible, but you know what? Um, we're going to have to put an allowance in so I can travel to HQ and the HQ can travel here. Good point. Like this is one of our, this is a key to the concern. The, the way it started was, so when we hired about, 80 to 100 people in India, our CEO is a great visionary. Like he, he was like, look, you know, he sat down with the management team. He said, one thing that I feel is the culture. Like for him, culture is very important. We are a very, very strong culture company. So he said, look, I want to make sure if I am in the India office or I'm in at the HQ in the US office, when I'm sitting inside the office, there should be no difference. The culture should exactly be the same. And the best way to do that is we started this program, right? The program was we would send our top performers, no matter which department they're in. Let's our top 10% performers from the India office to the US office and our top 10% performers from the US office to India office. Now, it, it helped us in two ways, right? One is motivating people because the top 10% felt something great happening to them because they're getting international exposure, both on India and the US side. And the second was it started spreading the culture and this was one unified culture that was that was built so and that over the years we've still continued with the program we actually have we have two corporate apartments that we've leased here in india so about 10 rooms annually we have three corporate apartments in the u.s so about six rooms there and there is constant travel that continues to happen obviously you know and travel is one of our one of our very big uh, expense line in our business yeah but then we we always have felt that this is very important for the business to do and for long-term success of the business is something that's very important yeah no i'm delighted you call that out look um i didn't expect to go through so much detail on it but i'm delighted we did because i think there's so many people considering our or maybe having challenges with that journey you've successfully overcome so asish really appreciate you sharing that i suppose in terms of your current work what what's expected where finance is going you know what's exciting you the most I think the most is the rate at which we are transforming us, uh, our processes and our business. Now, what that means is what the way we were doing our business at that time, the way our processes were at that time was completely different. Now, I also know that although we've transformed our processes a lot over the last three years, this is not good enough for the next three years. So we would need to continue to transform these processes and continue to scale up because we're growing business. And that's what is most exciting. So you always are thinking ahead, always are trying to think, okay, how can I prepare for next year and a year after that? Not just think about this year or this quarter. So that's that's interesting because, you know, I think uh, finance professionals, accountants get a bad rap right. for being reactive as in responding to requests right. for data and so on. I mean, that's, am- that's amazing. I mean, because I think more of us need to be doing this. How do we get that more proactive mentality? Obviously, because if you think about it, the more senior leaders in finance, that's what we should be doing. Yeah. We should be looking ahead, figuring out the p- potential paths and uh, looking to, to build towards them. So how do you... Um, uh, get the time to do that. I mean, that, that's that's something we struggle with. But how do you get the time? From to do a that? time standpoint, it's definitely a challenge because you're doing your day job, <laughs> and at the same time, you're also thinking about the future, right? And it's, it gets challenging. Yeah, Just to give yeah. you an example, right? As a business, we acquired three companies last year, and uh, we are growing at a rapid pace. Now, I know that there are potential acquisitions coming up in future years. We are growing our core business so much. So, sitting here today. I need to start thinking in the in the direction of what do I need to do uh, with my team, with my people, and both in terms of processes, so that I can support the business and we can stay we, we as a team stay relevant and are still providing the value to the business, right? So there are two pieces that two ways to do that. One is people, right? A you gotta have 
enough people and you got to have the right people, right? Then that means making sure that you are hiring and you're ramped up. B is you're actually upgrading the skill set of your existing people, right? Just making sure you're investing in their trainings, making sure you're investing in them as well. So that, you know, takes care of people from a people aspect standpoint, and making sure you're hiring A players, real strong players who are, and you, you hire for potential rather than performance, right? Because even if I'm hiring a junior uh, level resource today, who's got like, let's say a year and a half, two years in experience. But what I look at it is three years down the line, is that person something that I can place my bet on and say, obviously you, you're never hundred percent right, but is this a person three years from now who can potentially manage a small product line or work with a, with, as an independent product owner, right? Yeah. So that's, that's how you kind of think yeah. in that direction because you know you're eventually gonna need people, right? So you do that. And then second part is just figuring out what is it that was relevant two years ago in terms of the stuff that you're providing to the business. Maybe it's not relevant today and maybe you evolve. Uh, So you're talking to business a lot. And what I try to do specifically this year is I'm trying to figure out what are the things that we're doing? How how can I have my team spend lesser and lesser amount of time in preparing the analysis and preparing the data rather than mm-hmm. actually looking at the data. So a lot, mm-hmm. I'm like, for example, I'm working with our IT team in, in investing in Tableau, right? We've, been, we've invested in Tableau. So how can we create some dashboards rather than just, and so that dashboards get the data right, directly from our CRM system rather than someone pulling it out in Excel, then creating pivot tables out of that, right? So, you know, <laughs> things like that, you have to really start thinking in the direction of how can you reduce these things so that you get, bandwidth out of your team and they can start working on other important aspects of the business that's uh, what great advice there ashish and i think some of us uh, particularly to your last comment i think a lot of us right. have been on that journey yeah. <laughs> trying to avoid yeah. the copy paste and, uh, and and that so and well, thank you for that I, I mean i suppose in terms of you know your career ashish i mean what's been the best bit of advice uh, you've received the best advice that i got when, when i was really young uh, in the company our, our cf at that time he used to say what you do do it well and good things will follow i've always uh, you know i live by that if i am enjoying what i'm doing and i'm putting my hundred percent in it and i'm making sure i'm doing it well everything else will follow so i think that's that's that was very good advice that i got early on in my career yeah, that's fantastic. A great, I really appreciate you sharing that one. And I suppose then in terms of, uh, would there be any books or resources you'd recommend our audience go check out? I mean, I've been listening to some audiobooks or read some books. So recently I've read a couple of them. One of them is Radical Candor. Uh, it's, it's a book by Kim Scott. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's a great, great book for people leaders, uh, no matter which domain you're in. It talks about how you build the teams that and how you get to, your teams to do great work and very interesting read. The other one was uh, that I read recently was uh, Creativity Inc. It's a book by Ed Catmull. He was the founder of Pixar Animation. And I, I like movies. I yeah, used to look at movies, but I never thought something <laughs> like Pixar could be this interesting. So when I started listening to that book, it gave me a whole lot. Like it, it's essentially how to be creative in business, like how are creative organizations built. Not, and creative organization, not necessarily in like, animation studio any organization has to be creative today so th- those are two interesting reads recent reads that i had 
And on that last point, I think that creativity, that's probably a new area. Uh, finance professionals, FP&A right. professionals need to go and explore more in my mind because, and I think it comes back, you touched on it earlier. It's, it right. goes back to innovation and innovation, not right. about creating new products. It's just making it easier for the business, our clients or whoever, who are customers yeah. to access what we do so that we can be relevant to them and add value to them. I mean, that's, that's essentially it. So I'm looking forward to checking both those out. I haven't come across them before. So uh, appreciate the recommendations, Ashish. And if our uh, audience wish to continue the conversation, how's best to uh, connect with you? The best way to connect with me is through LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, my name is Ashish Arora. Just send a private message to me and then we can uh, continue to have a conversation. That's awesome. Thanks, Ashish. And before we wrap up the podcast, uh, you know, would you have any parting thoughts for our audience? I think the last thoughts that I have is the rapid change in the business and technology is so quick. It's happening so quickly that everyone, all of us as financial and accounting professionals to think about how do you move ourselves and our team from people who are providing the data to people who are providing the value. That's something that we all need to think about and think in that direction. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And what a way to end the, end the show. Look, uh, Ashish, really appreciate you going through your journey. Um, the commitment you, you've definitely got to your people and also that fantastic experience. I think a lot of us will benefit from building an FP&A team sure, from scratch, sure. particularly through the cycles you went through from yeah. VC to listed company, public yeah. company, and then back into private equity. That's some journey. Sure. So, uh, so wish it, wish it continues um, in a good, thanks. good vein in a positive manner. And thanks, thanks for investing your time with us today. No problems. Thank you so much. It was lovely talking to you. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio, and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, read the latest blogs. There's also an opportunity to subscribe to our newsletter, which will give you heads up as to when the next show is coming out, latest events, news, and anything that's going to be relevant to help you have a fun, rewarding, and successful career in finance and accounting. And just before you go, we really appreciate your feedback. If there's something we can do better on the show, something that's not working, or something you'd like to see, even a guest you'd like for us to invite onto the show, someone who you think might be able to benefit you more and also the rest of our community, please let me know. You can email me. I'm at andrew at sitnshow.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drop me a message so I know how you found me and we can connect. And really, it's our community that will make the show. If we keep engaging and driving each other on, we'll keep on building our strength in the numbers. When all is said and done, if we can do the numbers better and finance better, we'll create more opportunities for ourselves, our friends, our families, our communities and our businesses. So until next time, have a good rest of the week. Take care and let's keep building our strength in the numbers.